everybody. Welcome to the Craft Business Life podcast. My name is Lee Solomon. Uh, this podcast is all about actors and being an actor and the business and day jobs and life in New York and all that kind of stuff. And normally it's uh, one-on-one interviews, but today is the first of many of a secondary format we're going to do where I bring back guests who have been on the one-on-one as a group to have a more open group discussion and share stories and information and whatnot. So I'm very happy to welcome back two of my previous guests, uh, Lydia Kalman and Julie McNamara. And uh, thank you guys again for coming back. Thank you. And so like I said, I'm just going to kind of open it up to you guys. What's what's happening? What are you thinking about? What are you working on? Or anything about the business currently on your mind? Or <laughs> Where to begin? Yeah. <laughs> Got something to say? I uh, still in rehearsals for As You Like It. Oh, that's Talk right. You that. were, yeah. were going to start that, then you were going away in between. And I went on vacation. Then, yeah. <laughs> Got back from vacation, so working on that. And it's a blast because I've been with, um, you know, I've worked with the director three times before, and uh, three of the castmates I've worked with on other projects as well. So it's yes, fun rem- to get some of the crew back together and yeah, it's a blast so far. Yeah, I remember you telling me that and you know, I think I probably said this to you at the time, working with people repeatedly uh, or even if possible as part of a company, you know, that repeats is, is really the best thing. Yeah. Um, I was fortunate to be part of some great theater companies over the years and uh so yeah, that always that always makes it a little easier, a little more fun, yeah, right? Yeah, it is a lot of fun. It's it's a really fun, goofy bunch of people. So having a blast with that so far, and yep, just get getting back from being away on vacation. It's it it feels like I've been gone for a really long time, even though it was only two and a half weeks. <laughs> well, it was, and you did a you know a bit of an adventure. Right? You took a road trip with your mom, yep. drove down to Florida. Yep. Went to some Met Spring training games, had a couple days at the beach, went to Disney World, Universal Studios. So all of all of the fun adventures. And now yeah. it's and now I'm I'm back and, and no no trouble with all the driving and on everything? No, no, it was kind of a boring stretch of highway, so it was a lot of carpool karaoke. <laughs> so but it was it was a blast. Good to be back, diving back into everything. And I did just also get a text from a friend of mine who I've known for years. We've worked together actually over at Planet Hollywood in Times Square. <laughs> We've known each other for, for a long time. He um, is more like on the writing and directing side. And he just texted me the other day, like, hey, I'm going to be working on this short film. Uh, what are you doing the last weekend in April? And I said, well, I have performances the Friday and Saturday night, but... If you're good with filming during the day and being done in time for me to get to the theater, then let's do it. And he said, yeah, I can work around that. So <laughs> Now, this brings up, you know, an interesting thing, which is, you know, some days can be like that for actors, yeah. literally yep. shooting during the day and then running and doing a play performance at uh, night. Yeah. I mean, that's that's really not easy. <laughs> no, it's not. I uh, the one I forget whether I'd mentioned it during our last podcast, but I had done a featured part for a show that... Uh, it, they had filmed just the pilot and put it up on Amazon Prime, and it didn't get picked up. But um, Glenn Close was was the star in that. She was starring in that show. Well, she was still doing um, Sunset. Was it Sunset Boulevard on Broadway? That, that was, was a while ago, wasn't it? 
I don't know, was like two, two years ago, oh, something okay. like that. But yeah. she was, yeah, she was still doing performances of that. But here she is filming that show during the day, the pilot episode. So it happens. <laughs> well, and it's also not necessarily in the same day, of course, but it's great to know that in New York you can do both types of both, work. Yeah. You know, that's famously that's London is like that, and yeah. LA, not so much, or they have some theater. But again, and this has come up on the podcast a few times, people don't realize how much TV and film is shot here in New York. There's a, a lot. lot. Mm-hmm. And a in lot. nearby areas, New Jersey, you know, wherever. So yeah. Connecticut. Makes for long days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The glamorous, like, 16-hour yeah. day or something like yeah. that, you know. How about you, Julie? What have you been up to? That's funny. I'm actually in a really great on-camera class, and it's – I've been saying for years I will take an on-camera class, but I've fallen into that theater trap of, I love doing theater, and I've been lucky to do a lot of traveling work the last couple of years, so every time I say, okay, I'm going to really focus on film and TV, then I get to go do a show out of town, and um, I get so tied up in loving theater auditions, but I'm proud of myself because I'm finally in a class, I made the commitment, um, taking class with Heidi Marshall, who I highly recommend, her film class is wonderful, and um since I signed up for the class, I've been finding things coming up. I did a um, little comedy short last weekend, and it was fun because it was one of those. We shot out in the Rockaways, a beautiful old little house because it was like a 50s theme. But it was it was just fun because it was like a full day. Like we got to trek out there. We got to trek back. It was a 30-second short, but it's just such an interesting process, that versus theater. And um, in taking the class, it's wowed me because – my first formal class and seeing the differences but also the similarities you know between the two mediums um because I was off off, often been told you know you're a very subtle actor and you have the subtle humor like you'd look really you'd fit on camera whereas in theater sometimes the bigness is harder but um I'm finding on camera it's like yeah you have to tone it down and like there's certain movements but a lot of the work you have as theater actors really does pay off like that. It does. All the yeah. base work you've done yeah. still needs to be there. And I yeah. think it's natural behind a camera to be like, oh, it's so different. But I think they're a lot more similar than we think. It is, yeah. Because that, yeah, that base work, I mean, you are still bringing a character to life. And mm-hmm. so it's going to be the same process, essentially, behind the scenes. But, yeah, it is the difference between the the subtlety or making everything big and loud and mm-hmm. <laughs> I find sometimes um, doing like on camera classes or some you know workshops or whatever that I it sounds like I speak so much louder than anyone else in the room and not because I'm trying to project like on stage but just because it becomes such a habit and so natural that mm-hmm. it happens without without even having to think about it so <laughs> yeah it's interesting. Well, yeah, let's talk about that a little more because it's funny, just recently one of my other guests said that she thinks that whole, like, that it's so different between the two is really nonsense. (laughs) So there's different schools of thought. Some people think that, um, and people like to say that, uh, but then other people go, no, it's kind of the same. You know, some people would say that the only real difference is the size, the volume, yeah. as you said. Yeah. But that is a difference. You know, that, yeah. that, that, that is important. Um, but, you know, how do you, know, I mean, you know, do you guys, I mean, you guys were just saying, like, you know, well, with your class, for example, is she teaching you things that are very, 
against your instinct. I know in camera classes I used to take, like, you know, they'd be like, you know, even if you move your head this much, you're out of frame. And like, they'd like so still and, and focused, you know. I wouldn't say it's wildly different. I'd say it's details. It's sort of like, um, I'm classically trained singer originally, so I can relate. Like when I was learning to sing pop rock, um, it was a style thing more than anything. Um, I remember Lee and I getting really into this in our interview about styles, because I think a versatile artist can do a lot of things. Like when I was learning to sing 60 songs, I realized like, oh, I already have this mixed voice. The question is, I just need to know how to straight tone and I need to know exactly how much of this mix. It's not a complete soprano sound, but it's not a complete belt. My voice knew how to do it. It was just kind of making the adjustments. It's like when you bake a cake, like decorating it exactly the way you need for a wedding versus a five-year-old's birthday party, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Clearly I want cake right now. Um, (laughs) But I think acting on camera is similar because um, we actually have a very Shakespearean-based actor in our class, and I remember watching her work. She, I was envious because she had that big thing I've always been told I need. Yeah. Like, she made everything big. But with a couple adjustments, like, her work on camera was great, you yeah. know? And she had such fine acting, and it was all there. And most of that training she had really helped her, you know? Yeah. Like, she had such a clear view of the character. Um, she was moving her arms out of frame for a moment, but, like, a lot of us were doing that. So right. it's just a matter of, like... I have these skills. How do I fine tune them to make the right cake? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Makes sense. And um, also, you know, we may have touched on this as well, you know, and this has come up again too, you know, the whole idea of training in general and something like vocal training, you know, they talk about classically trained theater actors, British training system, Mm -hmm. how, you, you know, your voice and and you, you you take singing even if you're not planning on being a singer just singing is another extension of your vocal ability and training and therefore you're able to to be more resonant more varied whatever it is even when you're just doing speaking lines mm-hmm. do you ever do, do, do you are you ever when you're doing a, a an acting a speaking acting that's not singing do you ever find yourself using singing type vocal techniques or am I like going way crazy here? <laughs> no, that's not crazy. Like, it's funny. As an actor, I so often go into singer mode. I remember one of the first shows I did in the city. Um, it was with the Alpha NYC. They're a small company here. Um, yeah, a lot of a shows with them. Folks have done a show with them. And yeah. a friend of mine who's a fine, fine director directed my show and she it was very bold director, wasn't afraid to say things. And I remember she was like, stop facing out and doing the singer thing. Like, people don't walk like that. You know, you would talk to someone with angles. You wouldn't stand and face out. And I find that, like, when I'm singing any genre, it's so natural to go back into my, like, recital mode. I'm holding my hand on the piano. Um, so it's a lot of those. I would say physically more so than, like, vocally that's an issue. You know, I, I will go into... And not even to say that my singer mode was helpful when I was a singer. Just some of my, like, bad habits that I developed as a singer get in the way of my other performing, you know? <laughs> yeah. So well, I act, that is very interesting and, and funny but and, and, and important to know. But I actually meant it as a positive. I meant, like, does having a singing background make you better at voice in general, even oh, for speaking lines? Good things. Um, yeah. I would say it's very hugely helped and... 
it's taken me years to learn how much it helped, you know? Like, I haven't really pursued voiceover, but I know I really enjoy my speaking voice, and I found as an actor, like, that's the thing that's helped me. Shakespeare, that's the thing that helps me have a distinctive voice. It just gives me so much to explore as a performer because I had all that training, and um, just even the facility with language, that's something I took for granted. I was like, oh, I had to take languages, but um, I got to see the Yiddish Fiddler the other week, beautiful show if you can go see it highly recommend it and it was interesting because I remember a friend of mine was like oh well did they have to use Yiddish speakers and I tried to explain you can sing in a language and not know it like I did it when I was 18 but for some people like learning a language sounds so foreign but that ability for me to like have that ability with languages and sounds it paid off oh yeah well anybody who who does serious opera or classical voice training Usually you you do recitals in like Italian and and mm-hmm. uh, what other languages Italian German maybe Italian German French are French. like the three big ones you have to have on your recital and then people will vary others but yeah Italian obviously is the standard one German there's a lot of art song and French is the one I always took in school but it's the trickiest to sing because the sounds are so wacky but oh, yeah <laughs> the languages are cool though because. And I think it fed into a lot of what I do in theater now because every language kind of has its own flavor. You know, like Italian art songs, they were the storytelling modes at that time. It's the same way, like, you look at a Shakespearean text. It seems foreign to us, but that was the way he told stories. Like, back then, that was, like, the big pop song of the day, you know, or the fun, the best comedy sketch. Yeah. So you just kind of have to get into the mind of those storytellers. And my classical degree gave me that because, like, different – languages and styles I now see oh yeah there's so many different pieces of theater out there and if it's not your style you just have to be like how do I tell this story you know yeah and that's a good segue back to you Lydia um and I think we talked a, a decent amount in our interview about Shakespeare, if I'm not mistaken. But so you're doing as you like it right yeah. now. And um, by the way, do you sing? I don't remember. I, I can sing. Yeah. I'm not necessarily classically trained. I was in the choir in, in middle school and high school and whatnot. But not not classically trained, but I can carry a tune. Right. <laughs> um, but so you're doing as you like it, and you've done a lot of Shakespeare. Um, what part are you doing in As You Like It, by the Phoebe. way? Phoebe. Phoebe. Yep. Supporting role. She's sassy. It's fun. <laughs> so how are you, you know, using as your current project as an, as a specific example, and also in general, how do you approach Shakespeare? You know, I, I, I think I'm one of those people that maybe I want to make it too complicated, but at the same time, I think it's, it's more complicated than I used to assume. So what, you know, how do you generally approach Shakespeare? How are you approaching it now? And how different is it, if it's much different, from a contemporary script? Um, it's, I, I mean, I don't know that it's really so different from a contemporary script other than the, just the style that it's written in. I mean, the, the, you know, these characters are still going through some of the same, you know, issues that they could be going through in a contemporary play. It's just the fact that it's written poetically instead of the you know just the way you'd speak in natural conversation so for me I mean yeah sometimes I might have to look up a word in the dictionary or something like that but once you understand what is being said then then I don't think it's really any different than a contemporary script you know it's you know you have different slang words of the time and this and that so you know 
if you, you know, you look up the words and you realize, oh, well, that would be the equivalent of this slang word today. So if I imagine myself in my head saying this instead of that, you know, well, you know once you figure out what, what is being said, then it's no different than, than any other. Yeah, it might take an extra moment to pick apart the exact words, but... <laughs> well, what about, you know, the technical challenge of because the language is so poetic, because it's very easy to just say the words in their, in their very musical way, naturally, right. that you can just think that's enough and not layer it with the more contemporary, you know, actor stuff of, right. you know, actually giving it depth and, and making your character real and emotions and all that stuff. So does that... Does that ever feel challenging to you, or you doesn't even you don't even it think about it? Doesn't. Okay, good. No, I'm glad. <laughs> I, you know, I'm I'm sure there are some actors that it might, and understandably so, because right. of the fact that it's so different than the way we speak. Right. Um, I, I don't know. To me, it comes pretty pretty naturally. No, yeah. Really. I don't know. <laughs> Do you have experience with Shakespeare, Julie? I've done a little bit of it. It's funny. I discovered a couple of years ago that Shakespeare wasn't my thing as much as I thought. I always thought because of the classical text and my singer background, I would really enjoy it. But something about that has made me not enjoy it as much as I'd like mm. to. Um, it's funny, when I perform Shakespeare, I go into a lot of my singer rigidity and can't enjoy it the way I usually enjoy acting, which is really ironic because I know the way Shakespeare is meant to be performed is not that way, but I find... I keep trying to find more loves for it because I've had a couple positive Shakespeare experiences and the time I had the most fun with classical text is when I worked at a Renaissance festival because getting to improvise yeah. in Elizabethan was when I discovered, oh yeah, this language is really fun. But I keep trying to work towards it because I know Shakespeare like has a place in my artistic life, but I keep going into my heady singer place when I perform it. And I, I find that ironic. It's one of those cases of like the training with my classical words gets in my way there. Yeah. Under, understandably so. Now, improving with Elizabethan language, I don't know if I'm comfortable enough with it yet to do that. That would take a lot of practicing. It's, it's different when it's written out for you and you know exactly how to phrase it properly and whatnot mm -hmm. for the time period. But improving it, I would have to do a little bit more practice for that. <laughs> That's so funny because, yeah, I found that a lot more fun. And I guess that kind of speaks to a lot of things I enjoy because I'm pretty heavy into comedy. And I really yeah. enjoy comedy and improv and contemporary theater. And it's ironic when I think of my background, like why I so enjoy something so far removed now. Mm. But I see where the training has come in. And, yeah, I... I enjoy the improvising Elizabethan because that's where I really found the freedom. But yeah, it's interesting to see like that's what lights you a fire is like having that structure for it. Yeah, you know? yeah. I I did when I first first moved to New York and you know at Amda was you know had Shakespeare class and whatnot. I did fall into anytime I would say any Shakespeare lines, falling into the rhythm and the, you know it just sounded it would sound so robotic. That's and so what it I'm did, talking about. It exactly. did take me when I first first moved to New York. Yeah. I did fall into that. Um, but then I, you know, I went away from doing Shakespeare for a while. And then when I came back to it, it just seemed so easy. And I don't know whether it was just gaining experience as an actor in general or, or what, but I, you know, would go back to remembering what they would tell me at AMDA is, you know, stop looking at the, 
the way it like the way it's written, you know, because it's written very in poetic uh, columns and you know, you don't have like one whole sentence on the same line together, it'll be split up and, and being told to forget all that, forget where the that one line of poetry ends, look at where the commas and periods are and pay attention to that. And that that definitely helps a lot. Because seeing the way it's written in such a poetic column, you know, each you know, maybe the end of each line rhyming or whatever, it it kind of messes with that flow a little bit. So if you don't pay attention to that and just look at like the commas and periods and just the the basic, ex, you know, uh, exclamation points, whatever, you know, just the basics of punctuation. Yeah, punctuation. I couldn't think of the word I was looking for. <laughs> um, if you look at the basic punctuation, like you, like you would with anything else, yeah, then it it makes it a lot easier to break out of that that makes, rhythm. Makes sense to yeah. me. And speaking of improv and singing and everything, uh, Julie, how is your musical improv team? Um. I'm actually not on a musical improv team. We're in a practice group. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, no, you're group. cool. I talked about a bunch of improv things last time. I'm on an indie regular improv team, right. but I actually I am in a musical practice group, and we're trying to get shows going. And um, I'm auditioning for the house teams at the Magnitude, the musical house teams. Oh, That's okay. coming luck. up. Thank you. Yeah. Little nervous, but it's one of those things you can audition as soon as you finish level three, and um, you don't always get it on your first try. But I figured if I don't try it now. It's terrifying to try it later, but I I want to be on a regular musical team. And it's funny, musical improv is a tougher thing to keep up a team with just because you need a pianist, you need to find more gigs. and um, it, But it's also one of those things, ironically, that takes a lot of practice because you have to know the song forms, which are pretty simple, but... It's musical improv is very collaborative in a way that I think regular improv is not, and you really need to be collaborative. Well, regular improv is supposed to be, but maybe of it's course. not always. Yeah. It always is, and yeah. it generally is, but musical, there's like no choice. You can't do the musical alone. That's very you need your back line, yeah. you need your pianist, and yeah. I, I really enjoy doing it. Like the group I'm in is pretty great, and we're trying to get more gigs out, which is extra work because you got to find those are harder to find, but. I love doing musical improv. <laughs> it's so, very fun. Yeah, and it's got, I mean, I, I was in the improv world for a while years ago, and I never did musical improv. I knew people who did a little. I saw a show, a couple, you know, a couple of shows. It's been a long time, though. So is it, obviously, there's many different ways to do it, I assume, but generally, if you're doing a musical improv show or set, it's not all singing, right? You guys are like improvising a musical, essentially. Mm-hmm. So there are you doing regular improv scenes and then breaking into songs. Is that correct? Yes, that's absolutely correct. Um, in when you're learning musical improv, the 101 is you learn a couple basic song forms because people are so daunted by making up songs. You learn a couple forms and then it's easy. Like more or less, it's like there's a verse chorus song, a chorus verse song, or a song with a tagline, like a line that repeats instead of having a chorus. Once you got like those down, it's pretty simple. And you learn those in like the first two classes. Um, So those are the songs and your first level of musical improv at the magnet, at least you just do montages. So you do like scenes into songs and then the next scene is something different. When you're in higher levels, you learn like a story form and it's similar to regular improv. Like you have a Herald, um, like the fairy tale they call is kind of like the set structure. And then in your final levels, you learn like other stories, but 
like with anything else, there's learning the structure and then being okay with breaking the rules, you know? Now, do they make having taken regular scenic improv classes a prerequisite for the musical improv? Uh, no, at the Magnet, it is not, I know. Um, I know different schools. I can't remember what the Pitts rules are, but, um, yeah, at Magnet, it is not, and it's interesting to see, because often folks will have had some kind of improv experience if they choose to take musical, but the two mediums are so different, um, and I think it can, it can be one of those cases, like, it can help or hurt you, you know, depending <laughs> on who you are. Like, I found, of course, my singing training kind of got in the way my first few musical classes because I was like, I'm not as free as I usually am doing improv because I'm thinking about trying to sing right. And mm. it took me a little bit to loosen up. But now that I have gotten the hang of it, my voice is kind of like an asset. The fact that I have a trained voice is really helpful, but it took me a while to, like, be able to unlock that, if that makes sense. Well, that's exactly the next one I was actually going to ask you about. So couple of things on that. So first of all, obviously anybody in a musical improv show audience does not expect everyone on stage to actually be a legitimately good singer. Um, and also, unlike in a normal, genuine musical singing situation, you guys are probably not really all in sync, all in the same key, whatever. So I guess my question is, how does that work out? Does it bother you as a regular singer? Or do you find that people are annoyed at you because you can actually sing? Does any of that come into play? Or That's a good question. I would say with musical improv, and I know my teachers have at least emphasized this, like being able to sing is kind of not a priority. Okay. You know, um, if you can somewhat carry a tune, it helps. But you see a balance of some of the finest musical improv teams. Usually there's a couple people in there that are like, exceptionally strong singers, like they have some crazy belt or they can hit high notes. And then there's a handful of people who like can just carry a tune, but they are really good improvisers and they commit. And you need a balance of those people. And again, like most of the finest improvisers I've seen, I don't remember their voice. So I don't really care if you can sing. And <laughs> because it really is about, are they committing? Do they know? Can they put together a good song, which just comes with practice and, can you collaborate and listen? And um, a coach my team was working with was wonderful. She was like, musical improv, everybody wants to be the star. You feel like you want your solo <laughs> song. Some of the most successful shows you'll see, some of the best people don't say a word, but they're the ones like doing the funny dance in the back or come out with the lines. And I'd say that's true of real musicals and real plays too. You know, like Shakespeare, there's always mm -hmm. a one-liner that, yeah. like the clowns are always my favorite, but like, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's always those little cameo roles. And that's what's really important is that are they good improvisers? Can they make choices? Are they good on a team? I think that's really what musical improv is, and the singing's just sort of an added asset. So you're not mean to the non-singers in the class, then? That's they, good. on the contrary, like, I get jealous <laughs> well, I, for those who don't have that, like, thing in their head where they're always worrying about classical singing. Yeah. No, but just one last technical question on it. I assume and you may be one of the only people that even notices this, but I assume that in terms of technically with the piano player, um, if it's a group number, I'm guessing he plays in just some kind of neutral key that everybody kind of figures out. But when it's a solo, does he kind of hear just kind of where they are and figure out what key it is kind of thing? Well, with musical improv, 
Pianists are really amazing. I cannot emphasize that That's enough. What I mean, I yeah, mean of course. they really help lead. Generally, what happens in a musical scene, and you'll practice this in class, um, you start with the scene, and when the scene emotionally builds enough, then the pianist will start playing. So basically, the pianist sets the key, and they'll adjust if, like, clearly something's not working, but more or less, your voice just will naturally be like, okay, I'm going to sing here. So the pianist is the one who starts the song. So they really are often the driving force, which is wonderful, because they're the ones who are going to give you a tune. Um, You know, like, in musical improv, there's often an I want song, which is similar, like, in any musical. Like, in Wicked, we got the wizard and I. You know, most musicals start with that. And most musical improv forms start with that. And usually it's the pianist's job in that opening scene that usually is a couple people to figure out, like, okay, who's the character that wants something and who's going to sing about it? And they'll start playing the music, and then you base off of that. So, more or less, you take everything off the pianist, and they are the ones who will cover you if something's going on. Well, again, that's I don't mean to keep harping on this. I yeah. guess I'm thinking about myself, because I'm an absolutely awful singer. Uh, I don't even know, I wouldn't even know where to start, but, so I guess my point is, even if you're not a trained singer at all, you'll just kind of naturally go where the piano goes. And if you yeah. don't, the pianist will kind of figure it out. Yeah. Okay. No, you will. If you got a good pianist, and there's a yeah. lot of them out there. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever done any improv? I don't remember if we talked about um, that I, at all. A little bit at AMDA. Um, improv, oh, that scares me quite a bit. <laughs> I, I don't know. I did pretty decent at AMDA, actually, but I just always have this fear that I'll just freeze and not be able to think of a single thing. And my brain will just go blank. And uh, it scares me. But, um, you know, I have enough basic training that it has helped uh, just in general, um, more so with live performances. I mean, with film, they can cut and do another take if they need to. But, you know, with live theater, you never know when someone may forget a line or whatever. And... um, and having that at least basic improv training really does help because it helps to just keep that flowing so you can get, you know, if something goes off, you can kind of get back on track to the to the script at hand. Cause, yeah, and, yeah, and even if you have no interest in actually performing improv or anything, you know, everybody these days loves to see some improv training on a resume. Yeah. And it often helps and comes up in audition situations yeah. or something as simple as you know, asking you to make a little modification at an audition or something. Yeah. And just the overall things of really being in the moment, listening. Yeah. You know, so. I, I feel like it's yeah. easier for me to do improv if there is a basic outline of where the storyline is supposed to go. Sure. That definitely helps me a lot. But I, I, I feel like that's becoming such a big trend in comedy, film, and TV is, is – so much of it being oh, like, yes. an, like an SNL oh, yes. improv oh, yes. style. Yes, and I'm almost so. kind of envious because, I mean, granted, I do more drama than comedy, but I do comedy maybe like a third of the time anyway. And, you know, playing a lot of like bubbly, ditzy characters that get big laughs and everything. But to, to translate that, like if I wanted to do more film and TV comedic work, I feel like you almost have to be part of an improv troupe these days. It, it seems like everybody is. Or well, at least like you should have sort of a base understanding of where that style comes yeah. from. But, and yeah. And being that I don't, and, and like I said, I'm, I'm probably better at it than I think I am, but 
I feel like I'm, I'm terrible at it and it terrifies me. And so then I think, well, my gosh, how would I break into that genre if I wanted to? Because I guess I would just have to take improv classes. Yeah, you know, couldn't be a part hurt, of a trip. to check it out. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I guess that's what I would have to do. But yeah, yeah I just, it, you know, watching so many of these actors, it, they make it seem so effortless that, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm in awe and I, and I respect them as artists because it's terrifying to me. <laughs> I understand. So, um, yeah, so let's see. So you're back from vacation. You're working on the show. Working on the show. And forgive me, I don't remember what you told me your day job is, if any. We did talk about it, promoting Broadway shows. Oh, Chicago. You're one of the Chicago. Yes. yes. I'm sorry. Right, of course. I, uh, I just had Are a... back to doing that? Back to doing that part-time. I had a, a fun shift the other day. We actually kind of pray, played what could be like an improv game oh, okay. at work. We decided to give each other... It started out as a word of the day. And then it just... Every time we did that word, we we ended up having multiple words of the day. Um, but for an example, like I was given the word earlobe. And so my task was to find a way to work earlobe into promoting waitress, which I actually was able to figure out pretty, pretty quickly because I, and again, I usually go into a Southern accent because there's just something charming about a Southern diner waitress that just everybody loves. So I said something about it being, um, oh, it's, it's the sweetest little show on Broadway and it's pleasing to the earlobes and just went with it. And I was given the word peacock and I said, oh, it's just as lovely as a peacock's feathers, you know? And of course, especially using a Southern accent, it kind of makes everything sound like a charming little Southern saying, you know, like an old timey saying or something. So we gave each other these challenges of a, a word of the day. And gosh, oh my gosh, it was so much fun. It was Love a way it. to A, yeah. pass the time and B, kind of in a way work on improv skills, like an improv game. And then of course, there's the task of coming up with words that will stump your coworkers and be really difficult for them to work into it. So that was fun. I think the one word I had to pass on was disinfectant. <laughs> I could not find a way to make that work and not have it just like turn people away from wanting to see the musical. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't figure that one out. I had to pass on that one. There you go. But it was a fun little improv game for the day. Why not? And so you're promoting Waitress. So it's not Mostly. just Chicago. Yeah. Um, Chicago so Waitress. So do you wear do you wear like a different costume, not the Chicago outfit? We have, we have a different costume. Okay. Um, in the summer, it's like the same outfit as the main actress with like the diner waitress I blue thought, dress figured, and the apron. Yeah. And we have these headbands that have like a little pie on it and it's positioned so that it's kind of slanted off the head. I feel like it's very in lieu of the British fastener hats, which is such a, a popular style. So I honestly feel quite adorable in the outfit. So. And... So waitress, is Sarah Bareilles in that now, or she was? Not right now. She's right been now. in it two different times, I think. Yeah. But I mean, she wrote the music and the lyrics. Oh, I know that's, it, why so, I yeah. that's why. I'm yeah. That's why. Yeah. But it's been it's been running for at least two or three years now, right? Yeah, I think it's been two years now. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And um, by the way, that it's funny because I was thinking, oh, it's nice weather now, good. Yeah. And then I was thinking back to our whole Times Square conversation, and I, re I don't think I asked you this last time. I remember. How do you deal with wearing that, any of those outfits in the winter? They let you wear a big winter coat? We have, we have big winter, winter coats. Winter? Um, okay. You'd be surprised how much we can layer 
Um, well, yeah, because that Chicago. was yeah, that was the that was the only thing I didn't like about that job when I did it was how it was it was the cold season. Oh yeah, I mean you're you're bundled up as much as yeah. the kid in a Christmas story yeah, exactly. when he's like, I can't pull my arms down. That's basically yeah, it. You exactly. can't move much. No, I, I tell um, people that's when I learned how to layer for winter. You learn yeah. how to layer. Yeah. I think at at most I was able to fit five pairs of fleece lined leggings under the red tights. I mean, you just, you layer like crazy. Fleece line leggings right. are the best inventions oh, ever. Um, heat tech socks. I mean, gotcha. all sorts of, but yeah, I think the worst part about the winter is not necessarily the weather, unless it's extreme where the wind chills like five degrees or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then we basically go outside for five, 10 minutes, pop in for like 10 minutes. You just pop in and out constantly every like 10 minutes. Um, the worst part, I think, is more just the sheer boredom because that's when you hit tourist dead season. And so there's just no one to talk to in Times Square. So you're just kind of standing there zoning out watching the, all the TV screens. All well, time. and speaking and of the running boring. in and out, I remember when I had that job, um, you know, we got like during a five hour shift, you know, a 10 minute break and then a 20 minute break or whatever it was. I mean, yeah. we dub all these breaks. But they were like, hardcore about like you know text when you're going on your break text when you're back and they would constantly walk through and if they didn't see you they'd get you know they'd be like where are you if you took if your break was too long you know you're in the middle of Times Square you're outside you got to go to the bathroom whatever it is um are they you know is there any strictness for you guys about that kind of they, stuff they or? have us text when well I mean when we have our actual break breaks we're there in the dressing room with the managers so they can see that we're oh, there okay. there you go. um they have us text when we're stepping inside to warm up or, you know, use bathroom break or something. More so just to, like, just to, ha you know, know where we are. So that, you know, if the client is walking somewhere to lunch and back and is like, oh, well, I didn't see this person here. Then they can say, oh, well, at this exact time they texted me that they went to the bathroom. So, sure. you know, A, to cover our butts in that respect. And then, two, just because worst case scenario, I mean, when, you know, when that driver drove through the streets of Times Square and he started off on that hard rock, you know, yeah. right under Hard Rock Cafe. It's honestly a miracle that none of my coworkers were hit because at the time that was the spot where the client kind of wanted a Chicago girl stationed at all times. And so basically the fact that none of our coworkers got hit meant that someone wasn't covering the spot they were supposed to be covering. Right. So, you know, for, yeah. for things like that, yeah, it also helps to be like, okay, I know where all the girls are. They're accounted no, for. They're right. safe. This it's girl's in the bathroom. Square. I know she's it's safe. Safety. I know. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. it's and and our coworkers Absolutely. or our our managers are also. I mean, they're our peers. They're our friends. They've been out there with us as well. You know, promoting and flyering. So it's they want us to text when we're stepping inside, but it's more to cover our butts if the client says something, and then just slip. They know we're kind of safe and accounted for sure. somewhere if we're not actually out in Times Square. Course, yeah, <laughs> More for course. safety that's, and concern than anything Absolutely. else. Yeah. And how about you, Julie? How's the office temp world? It's been interesting lately. It's um, March is always a transition time for actors, I feel, for everyone. But um, I know if you audition for musical theater a lot, this is the time we call audition season is like January through March. Yeah. And it's busy. And... Um, it's at the point now where it's starting to wind down and this is always the time where I'm like, oh my God, I need to work more. And the last three winters I've been out of the city mid-October through January through December. So 
coming back, I've always kind of been in the place of like, oh, I'll sort of work just as much as I can while I audition. And it's always this time of year where I'm like, I need to pick up more work. So I've been going through that and temping has worked really well for me because it's just such good pay. It's so flexible. You can leave town at any time. You can say no if a last minute audition comes up if, with within reason. But, um, and you know, while you're there, like it's not something you don't have to be outside in the cold. You don't have to be watching children you generally can be on the computer doing your own thing. But, um, it's hard when it's not consistent. And I been struggling with that lately because, um, I'm also a teacher and I have like four classes a week right now. And I want to keep those. Yoga. Yeah, I teach yoga and I also teach kids dance. And oh, um, yeah, it's, that's a lot of fun. And the teaching, ideally, like, I'd love to do that full time and act, but it's hard because that doesn't quite make me enough money, but I don't want to lose those classes. I've been trying right now to like just get temp work the two days a week. I'm completely free, but it's it's hard to get it consistently, you know. And it happened a couple weeks ago. I had a two day assignment at an office, I booked it ahead of time. All the auditions I wanted that week happened to be those two days. Those happened to be the two days I had really late nights. I had a screening of a web series I was in and a late night rehearsal. Got sick the next two days because I'd barely gotten any sleep. And then those next two days, I couldn't pick up any work. And I was like, why did it all happen at once, you know? <laughs> so temping is great. Nice work if you can get it, I would say. Like, when it works out, it works great. It's an ever-growing battle, though, of, like... Can I keep it? I Right now, I've been working with my agency, and they're wonderful, um, to see if I can get a regular part-time job, because that's something I've had in the past. And like with any regular job, it's like, oh, having set hours is so frightening, because yeah. the minute you get them, the minute they'll conflict with something. Yeah. But I've also gotten to the point where freelancing is really hard, and like just hoping every week you'll make enough hours to make ends meet and make your schedule work is tough. So... Around this time last year, I got a regular part-time job with them. It was a consistent two full days a week that actually worked really well because that was like my base income, also living off my last contract money. And I found I could make that work, pick up a few side gigs, and make auditions work around that. So I'm ideally trying to get something like that, like either two consistent days a week or I looked at a couple jobs that needed you like four hours a day, you know. So I, it's, it's that ever-growing puzzle. Temping is definitely a puzzle. <laughs> and, uh, the glamorous life of acting. Yes. <laughs> well, you mentioned the teaching dance to kids. I did an episode recently with someone named Haley Oster, and she has a big, big dance background. And she now, um, besides her auditioning and working and everything, um, teaches dance. I think it's out on Roosevelt Island, her school. Um, and she loves it. So if you listen to that episode, she talks about that. Um, but yeah, that's the other thing that keeps coming up is day jobs and money and flexibility. And oh yeah, I know it's so hard. I've I've run across um, throughout my years of being in the city and working part time and whatnot. I've worked alongside a couple of gals um, at a couple of different places that they don't actually need the part time job. Because their parents are paying rent and all that oh, kind of yeah. stuff. They literally only have the job because they're bored and they just need something to get them out of the house. And I... I I'm sorry. Look, and they're I not shy about anything. telling you this. No, oh, and I don't wow. say anything. But, it, oh my gosh, it just I find it so frustrating because if I had the luxury of having rich parents, I would not be working a part-time job. I would be spending every minute of every day focusing on acting and going to every single audition and taking every single class and 
I mean, my gosh, to have that kind of luxury, what are you doing? We're, you know, working part-time at this restaurant or whatever. You say you're an actor, but you're spending half your time just, you know, serving tables or something. Like, why? (laughs) And ironically, there's a macro version of that. I was just listening to a podcast with somebody who's a voiceover actor talking about this. Voiceover actors who work very hard at being in the voiceover world, which is a whole like, I've heard it's, tight, I've heard once you're in world. it, then you're set, yes. but that it's extremely tough to break into. Very, all yeah. true. But then, you know, Morgan Freeman and uh, all these other famous people who don't need the extra money yep. and work get these voiceover gigs, and they're just like... Yeah. it's. I find it frustrating. It, it sometimes feels like... Because I was not born into that situation, born into, you know, your basic blue collar, you know, working family, I feel sometimes like I'm at such a disadvantage to making it into a full-time working actor or higher. Yeah, but you know, you know what? Because this, this it, might sound cliche or it, whatever. It feels like it. I mean, obviously, I don't know what it's like on the other side of things. But on my side, it feels like such this uphill battle that... You know, so, some of my time has to be compromised in working a part-time job because it's either that or you're homeless on the streets. You know what I mean? Like you just, it's but, you have to. Yeah, no, absolutely. But you know, again, this may sound cliche, but first of all, I found with these interviews lately that there's this is another common theme that comes up. You know, people who who don't come from right. you know wealthy backgrounds and whose parents aren't supporting their dream and financially. I mean, um, you know. They have a much more, it seems to me, hardworking attitude and take it seriously. Yeah. And that's going to benefit you much more in the long run. Yeah. I really that is, have to yeah. believe It's that. a very true point. Exactly. Because you have the, the gumption to really <laughs> curl up your shirt sleeves and, and do that. And hard see work. acting as work, just like you see other things as yeah. work, you know. Yeah. It's very true. And I think there's an irony, too. Um, I was discussing this with my parents, actually, Mm because they're not in theater, and they're they're very supportive in a sense, but getting them to understand things. It's like just always a different mindset. And um, I was saying the battle with survival jobs is you don't want to love your job too much, as crazy as that is. It's like I think the reason I love teaching – because it feels like it's related to my fields and that's right. the joy like when I teach yoga I often meet other artists and it always in some way feeds my artistic soul and reminds yeah. me to breathe reminds me to connect my body it's taught me more about perform- singing and acting than any of my classes have so I find I'm like this is feeding it so it helps teaching dance to kids has been a new thing for me and I'm like oh this really helps because I was away right. from dance for a while I like those jobs because they feel like I'm doing something but I find I'll get frustrated because I can't find the right temp job. And then I always think, if I really loved my office job, I'd be in more trouble. And yeah. I know many people, a mentor of mine called it the golden handcuffs of a steady job. Yeah. Because yeah. every actor, even the most successful, like Jenna Fisher is my favorite example. I just finished reading her book. I was yeah. going to say, did you read it? <laughs> yes. And Jenna gives the point, like, every actor comes to a place where they need a survival job. Like, yeah. even the most successful, they have been at that point, And some of them go back to that point. But, yeah. um... And sometimes you'll get to that point where you just need to work all the time and, like, that's okay. You need a couple months where you're focusing on work. But also if – I know many people who find a job they like and they really settle into that. They're like, oh, but I can can make more money nannying or bartending than going to this audition or even more so. I really don't want to leave town, so I'm not going to take this gig. So it's a really tough battle. Like It is. 
you know, to find it. Like I've really enjoyed leaving town the last few years. And I think a big part of that has been, I haven't had a job that I've liked. So I've been able to do that. Yeah. But it's a, it's a tough dichotomy because right now, since I love comedy and that's been a newer thing, I'm like, I really want to focus on the comedy and I really want to focus on the on camera. But in order to do that, I'm realizing I'm like, I have to stay here for a few months, which is something yeah, I haven't done. Yeah. So it's, I think that's always a balancing act too of not liking your job too much. Not you know? liking it too much and not hating it too much either. Because of yeah. course you don't want to be completely miserable either. Mm-hmm. So it's finding that exact balance of <laughs> Yeah. Well, and so so by the way, that Jenna Fisher book is a great book about it's, acting. It's amazing. I, I just finished it, yeah, yeah, a couple days ago. Yeah, I, I loved, loved it. it. And there's another great one I read called Acting is a Job by somebody named Jason Pugach. But mm. um So it's interesting, this has come up a lot too with the golden handcuffs thing, particularly with people who work in restaurants and bars. Mm -hmm. And what's great is that there are so many different kinds of day jobs and you guys both have these cool flexible ones. I know it's not always easy, but at least you have that flexibility around it. You know, the restaurant and bar thing, um, you know, can be exhausting and can also, you know, again, they, they get so used to the lifestyle, the money. And it, and it interferes with their original goal, which was how that was supposed to support their acting. So, yeah, it's an incredibly tough balance for, uh, for everybody. Yeah. One rule I had set for myself early on with the first part-time job is never allowing myself to move up. Like, I know... <laughs> never allowing myself to move up that career ladder. I know um, working at the host stand at Planet Hollywood, the managers loved me. They easily wanted me to move up to host trainer and... And maybe exactly being the manager of just the host mm-hmm. stand and all that. And they never asked me, um, they never even asked me if I wanted to be a host trainer. And I found out from, you know, my fellow hosts that had started at the same time and moved up that they, they already knew what I wanted. They knew what I was, what this job was to me. And so they told the managers flat out, don't bother asking her because she's going to say no, which I did appreciate because then it just... Mm-hmm. kind of saves me a lot of trouble. I can just go about my business. It was one rule that I set for myself. And yeah, sometimes it's weird to see, you know, your peers, like it, it's almost like being held back a grade constantly or something. You know what I mean? It's kind of weird to see people pass you by and, and move to these higher up levels in management and making more money and everything. But I kept reminding myself, the further up that career ladder you move in that part-time job, the less time you're going to have for acting the more time you're going to be dedicating to this part-time job. And that's not what I want. I want to be just on the outskirts where I can just go earn my basic paycheck, you know, make, you know, enough money to get by so that as soon as I am working full-time as an actor, I can just scoot right out the door, easy peasy, and not have all these responsibilities and not be spending so much of my time there because I'm a manager or this and that. And so I set that rule for myself right out the gate and said, don't, do not even dare be tempted by the more money and higher paychecks and all that. Just don't do it. Well, it's very true and it's, it's very wise and brave of you to do that. Um, now, Planet Hollywood, well, first of all, so you, 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 <laughs> didn't, you, you didn't even want to be a server there, just a host? No, nope, didn't even want to be a server. And yeah, granted, the, there are times that more money is, is nice, but I've always... Even though I come from blue collar, my, my mom does, like I said, she she does help out the little bit that she can. And so I am blessed that I have that. And of course, there are times that more money would be great. You know, it sucks sometimes having to go to brunch and just order the, you know, $2 croissant and the small coffee when oh. everyone's ordering these big platters and whatnot. Yeah, there are times like that that 
It's it kind of sucks. And you feel strange. Oh, no. Sometimes they do. Oh, sometimes man. they do. They do sometimes. <laughs> Invite me next time. I'll take care of it. Don't worry. <laughs> they do sometimes, but you know, you also don't want to seem like you're using your friends either. You know, no, if, if they're going to offer, I'll, I'll, you know, happily be thankful for it. But no, and, and I know. All joking offer, aside, doesn't feel good to need that either. I it's get yeah. It. It's course, it. It course. sucks, and it's it's yeah. one of those things where yeah, it sucks, and you kind of feel a little weird, but. It's just remembering that it's it's all going towards your dream and your goal and that, you know, it won't necessarily always be like this. And just, just keeping that in the back of your head that this is for a good reason. It's not, I'm not choosing to be poor, just, you know what I mean? Well, it's, and again, it's working towards and that again, goal. that working class type background. And it's funny, I've, I've brought this up on a lot of the podcasts. I'm never sure what the response is going to be, but, <laughs> but several people, or at least a couple of them, when I ask about like money and budgeting, and a couple of them recently had said um, this. In fact, very recently, this this one said, um, "Oh no, I I, I keep a very t- strict budget. I literally write down everything I spend." Like she was all about it. I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah." Cool. I've, um, I've not been that good, but I was raised with a yeah. with a great influence of. Um, uh, my mom's great at budgeting, and so even though I don't write everything down just seeing that influence and, you know, you learn how to, you know, look for the bargains and this and that. And, oh my gosh, I, I love even just thrift shopping. I love it because I love vintage fashions. Yeah. And like, I remember one, um, I was on vacation in Virginia and one church thrift store that I went to, I got three sweaters, three really nice sweaters, each for a dollar fifty. Wow. And one was a Liz Claiborne and that's a nice brand. That was a fancy black sweater with like you know, flare and, you know, bedazzled and everything. It's really nice. And I wear it even, you know, to auditions in the winter and whatnot. $1.50. There you go. Great bargain. So you never know what kind of fashion treasures treasures you'll find. And it also helps with the budgeting. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, and Julie, you know, it's funny. You talk about the golden handcuffs thing and, and you both just did. And then we, you even went so far, and we had again. This is one of the most fascinating things I thought from our interview. Um, you don't even want to have a golden apartment, so to speak. Like you know how to just <laughs> move from room to room, not be settled in a particular mm-hmm. apartment uh, contract, you know, lease or anything. Are you still doing that? You still uh, not still, but I mean, that's how you live essentially. You told me, right? Yeah. Well, that's what I've been doing the last year and a half, and. Um, Right now, I'm in a nine-month sublet, which just feels like such a long time. I have it at the end of August. Really long, I'm like, yeah. wow, I got this place for five more months. And um, <laughs> it's a, I happen to really like this place. It's a, it's a good location in Queens, good commute, lovely roommates, really good rent. So it's one of those deals. It's really nice. And my brain started thinking recently. I'm like, oh, well, I'm like almost halfway through this. And that's been a tough battle. Like, um, to give context, um, I talked to my last interview. I had a permanent place for three years when I first moved here. Started out in a three-month sublet, then it turned into a year-long sublet. Then they asked me to take over the lease. And I was a little wow. naive at that point, um, just really liking my apartment. It was a good deal. It was a good location. I wanted to keep it. I signed the lease by myself, which I've learned don't do. Um, well, actually, that's not true. I had one person on it. Confusing story of how she left after a week. Um, lots of different roommates, but that could be its own podcast. But... Um, <laughs> You know, we've all had roommate stories, but yeah, I I was on the lease by myself with two people I didn't know for a year. Then the next year I had friends move in. It worked, 
But my third year, um, so this is my second year on the lease, my third year there, they decided to skyrocket the rent, like absurd illegal amount because we had new management. Great. This was also <laughs> when I was really at the peak of traveling. I'd been gone six months. The new lease was right in the middle of two contracts. I knew I'd probably be gone again. And I was like, okay, I've been traveling most of the year, dealing with different subletters, things change over. That year I did the math. I think I spent about $2,000 on rent that was not mine. Oh, jeez. And we had subletters, but just covering the increases, being the one in charge of bills. And I was like, I am managing an apartment and I'm not even there half the year. And when the rent had gone up, I'm like, there's no point in keeping this place. Right. So the end of the third year living there, I was like, I'm not renewing the lease. I'm going to figure it out. Um, I was going on a contract in a month, so I was like, let me just find a place for a month, go on the contract, and come back. And then while I was away, I found a place for the next five months. Then I was on another contract, so I had a place for two weeks. And then in between the next job, I had a place for two months. And so it was quite a rotating circle. And then now I'm in a place for nine months. So I'm like, if I look at the number of places I lived in between August 31st, 2017, and right now... I have to count this right now. Okay. So there was my original apartment of three years. There was my one-month sublet. There's my contract, a five-month sublet, a two-week sublet, contract, another two-month sublet, contract again. I did the same holiday contract for a while. Um, and now my current, so that's, that's nine places in a year and a half. That's a lot. Whew, that is a lot. So really it's a lot. A lot. And oh, it's, man. that's just like jobs. I think it's a balancing act. Like yep. after moving out of my apartment, I did not want a permanent place. Like with that year, we had three people up and leave in three months. And I, I was the one who had to cover it. Worked out, but that was stressful. Covering the rents, the amount I was paying in rent for a place I was not really living in. I was like, no, I'm never signing a lease again. Um, for a year, it worked. But there were different things. Like, I took a, pla- a friend's sublet in Brooklyn, and I am someone who always made fun of Brooklyn. I was always like, it's not Manhattan, <laughs> and I was an uptowner, so I was like, I'm not moving to Brooklyn. While I lived there, we happened to have the most horrible subway construction, and oh, it happened no. to just be least convenient. And I was still teaching uptown and spending a lot of time there. I just found, I'm like, all right, Brooklyn is not for me, and I'm not judging the full borough, but where I live just happened to be the least convenient for me. So I was right. like, okay, I wish I'd known not to go that far out. Um you know, I've been pretty lucky with roommates on the whole. I, you know, a few weird situations, but I've had mostly good people. But it's hard. Like, every house has yeah. its own rules. Every place has its own system. Yeah. Um, and it's been really hard to up and leave. Like, right now, I love my situation. A long-term sublet that I'm not responsible for, but I get to stay. So I think just like with a job, there's times you need a long-term place, and there's yeah. times you don't. Like, now I'm at the point, I'm like, all right, if a nice lease came up, in Harlem again with friends and it was in my budget I'd sign if everyone else signed because I learned that lesson the hard way but um you know it's up and down like this is working for now and you know and maybe when I meet someone I want to marry I want to settle into one place but for now I'm like hey I like being able to up and go so just like with jobs it's always a balancing act if you're happy today go with it you know (laughs) very true Absolutely, but it's it's very impressive and it is brave, but it's also, like I said, it's smart that it supports your goals and your priorities and your lifestyle. Um, and yeah, you clearly it, it can be done and is done, so like, me. like we talked about, it's, yeah. not, it's not by any means impossible, so that's great. You, ne- you never get scared, though, that one day you're just going to 
not have somewhere to go the next day or something, God forbid. I think about it. I mean, there is always that idea, like, if you're not on the lease, theoretically someone could kick you out. I just, just like with being an actor, there's a lot of trust you got to have. Like, you know, the people I live with right now, they're pretty awesome. I trust they're not going to suddenly kick me out. Trust that they're not crazy. Um, (laughs) And I don't think they are. But I think, like with jobs and like with finding acting gigs, having a network of friends is key. And um, we talked about this a lot in my initial interview, but pretty much every sublet I found and a lot of the roommates I found when I was looking for subletters was through a friend. And the best thing you can do is ask a friend. I have a friend who's on a nine-month Disney cruise right now. He was looking for a place. I was looking for a place. Um, Generally, that tends to work out. And uh, my sublet in Brooklyn was a friend who was on tour for five months and – he needed a place because I know from the other perspective, when you're renting out a room, you want someone you trust rather yeah. than the random person on Craigslist. So and your roommates want someone you exactly. trust. Exactly. <laughs> they would rather it. And um, it's funny. My current sublet, I had a little back and forth with the place only because they really need someone the start of December. And I was living in Connecticut all of December. I was like, I'd love to not have to pay for a month I'm not using. But... The place was such a good deal on rent, I ended up going with it because doing the math, I was like, I'm still going to save for the next nine months. And then because my job was in Connecticut and I was able to come and go, it was worth it. So it ended up being very well worth it. Um, I came back to visit enough times, but I remember with my friend, we were talking back and forth. and I was like, yeah, I just want to work out this month. He talked back and forth to his roommates. And then one day I finally said, all right, I'll take the place. It's worth it. He goes, oh, great. We'll give it to you. Like, I was like, weren't you showing other people? He goes, but I know you, you know? <laughs> and I was like, oh, good. Because, yeah, yeah. It, that works out for both of us. He's like, we know you. We'd rather give it to someone who's not a rando stranger. But yeah. housing is another one of those things, like a day job. I think it just gives you material as an artist. Like the number, yeah. I, I, yeah. I've done a little bit of stand-up, and one of my first sets was about roommates. I've written oh, a lot of sketches yeah. about it. Like, look at Jenna Fisher. She wrote a whole yep. chapters of her book about survival jobs. Like, yep. I think the experiences we go through are needed because if being an artist was boring, we wouldn't want that. Exactly, yeah. I think I think so much of life helps as an artist and gives you material and fuel and all that kind of stuff, for sure. Oh, absolutely. And, um, and you... Wow, what was that Facebook group? Was it Gypsy Housing? Gypsy Housing. Oh, I think yeah. it's Ghost Light Housing now. Ghost I, I still Light need to housing. look it up because um, there was this that whole scandal with the Gypsy Robe with Actors Equity. So I think the name Gypsy had a bad right. connotation right. for a while. But yeah, that group is great because I've even found if you post in that group, you know, there's thousands of actors on it. The network of somebody who knows somebody. I've posted oh, yeah. on Gypsy and then found like, oh, I don't directly know this person, but they know my friend. And that makes me feel a lot better about yeah. considering them for my place, you know? Yeah. So that often is quite helpful too. Because I know my second year at my apartment in Harlem, I had two people I hadn't known originally. One was a friend of a friend and one was someone we found on Gypsy, but we had some connection. They ended up being two amazing people. And then there's often that catch of like, the fact that we were strangers made it a lot easier with the whole lease situation. Because right. I was yeah. like, oh, yeah. You know, I'm nervous they're not on the lease, but they're really trustworthy because I didn't know them initially. I can yell at them to pay the rent, you know, (laughs) and they ended up being just like such a good situation because they were strangers. So, but the theater world is small and you'll all know somebody eventually. It is. Yeah. And yeah. And so two things. One is this probably isn't, this isn't for like long-term housing, but for a temporary thing, or if you're traveling, a friend of mine uh, here in New York um, 
when they go away for watching their dog, they use a site called trustedhousesitters.com and they don't have to pay the person. They just get the person just gets to stay in their apartment for free right. and take care of the dog. And they love it. They've used it. So obviously the site does whatever it does as far as background checks and references and whatever, but they use it. Um, so just that's just a tip. If anybody, you know, if you happen to be traveling, if you want to, if you need a place to stay in Chicago for five days, you check the site. Is someone in Chicago looking for a pet sitter for those days? And you guys talk. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. And um, I remember... Must have been like 2002 or something, right after I graduated college. Uh, I was so naive. You know, I grew up on Long Island. I always loved the city, but I was I was very naive at that point. And I went to look at an apartment. Um, uh, it was in like the it was it was like I was like 50s and 7th or like 8th Avenue, 9th Avenue, Hell's Kitchen area. Um, it was like an open house. I remember we got there, there was a whole group of us, and the guy was like, okay, before we do anything, I just want you guys to make sure you guys know what it is we're talking about. So he takes us into this other room where there's a ladder, mm. and you climb up the ladder, and you look, and there's a loft space with a mattress, right. but literally the whole thing is maybe this high. Those that are listening can't see my hands, but it's like... Not high. No. Three, three and a half feet high or yeah. something. And I thought, okay, one, I will hit my head on the ceiling every morning. Yeah, Two, I, mean, you can I barely just even sit up, let alone stand claustro up. Claustrophobic in a sense, and no way I'm living in that. Just, like that anybody would agree to live in a space like that. No. Welcome I, to New York City. Yeah, right. <laughs> Pay a fortune to live in a closet. Yeah, recently, right? right? It's, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. But I think it's so funny with how people don't understand that. I remember looking for a subletter. I'd been here less than a year, and I got a summer job. And um, that's where I put out some gypsy housing posts. I ended up finding a friend of a friend's. But um, it was funny because one girl responds to me. She's like, oh, so how's your building? Um, is there a doorman and an elevator? And um, I guess <laughs> she was still in school down in Florida. What days and, does the laundry service Yeah, and yeah, right? she hadn't been to the city but was like, oh, I'm studying theater, so I have an idea of New York. And I had to respond to her, sorry, uh, we don't have, and this apartment happened to have very dangerous stairs. I can speak for that because they wax the stairs often. One of those times I fell down. I swear I broke my tailbone. The doctor said it was bruised. But uh, oh, when you teach yoga, having an injured tailbone is not easy. Yeah, I'm sure it's And it was dead of the winter, so I was teaching a lot of, like, restorative. And I was like, hey, class, this is what you do. I can't sit. But, um... <laughs> But yeah, that apartment had like a very rickety stairs and it's, that's the nature. It was a fourth floor walk up. It was a great location and a great space, but, um, the naivety of her and my own parents, when I first moved to the city, my older sister who actually lives here now in a much nicer place than me, uh, but she was in business school at the time. My sister had just had surgery and my mom said, um, oh, you know, she can't go up there with her hips. She'll visit you when you have an elevator. And I was like, well, I guess I'm not going to see my sister for years. But um, just people don't get it. It's kind of a mindset until I think even the wealthiest in New York understand this city because yeah. that's what I do love about New York versus anywhere else in the world. Like I grew up in Boston and the class divide is 
not hidden in New York. Like we no. all ride that same lovely subway. The Wall Streeters, even they have to ride the subway along with yep. the homeless folks <laughs> and the artists and the yep. working class. Where we're all in that same boat. So like, I find that that a nice thing because like if I'm nannying or temping for like very wealthy folks, they understand what we do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, more than anywhere else. <laughs> and it is fascinating. I mean, most of the times on a subway, I have my nose buried in a book because I love to read, but. It is kind of, I think about it sometimes, just how fascinating that is, because, on, you know, on, on a one train car alone, you just have so many different people mm-hmm. from so many walks of life, and sometimes I'll just, I'll sit there wondering about about those people's lives, and where are they off to right now, yeah. and, and, and all that kind of stuff, and I guess, you know, as an actor, it's... <laughs> No, it's I, know, so, I know that non-actors love study. to people watch, but especially actors, we really love to people watch. No, it's so true. <laughs> That's one thing that has never changed about New York. You're absolutely yep. right. Yeah. And then even, I remember one time I, I had my nose in a book, but there, there weren't many people on the train. And so I happened to notice the fact that Matthew Broderick got on the train, oh. sat across from me reading his newspapers, was on for a couple of stops and got off to transfer to over to the express train. And I thought, well... Cool. I just rode the train with Matthew Broderick. That's that's cool. That's oh, yeah. awesome. You know, even random things like that that happen. I think once I saw Joseph Gordon-Levitt on the train platform, but I wasn't sure it was him because it was right before he was making his comeback. So we, you know, I hadn't seen him since like Ten Things I Hate About You, and I'm thinking, well, this guy's a little bit more buff. He's got a little bit more muscle on him. I think he's just a really close look. Like then it was like a week later, I'm seeing a trailer for you know his first movie back on the game, thinking, oh crap, that was actually him. I saw him on the train platform. Wow. <laughs> I remember on the street once um, running into Megan McGinnis. Um, yeah. For those who don't know her, she was very famous for Little Women. She was the original Beth. She's Belle in Beauty and the Beast. She's Eponine. She was recently, say, the biggest thing recently was Daddy Long Legs, the two-person mm, show at right. the Davenport Theater. And um, I happen to adore her because she's someone <laughs> similar in type to me, and I have sung a lot of her repertoire. I was running out of dance class at Broadway Dance Center. I think I was, like, running to a coaching on 9th Ave., I saw her and it was a moment I was like, she looked a little frazzled. She didn't have makeup on. She could have been running to a coaching or dance class too. And I just made the decision not to stop her, even though I adore her and I have to be like a personal fan because I was like, she looks like she's doing her thing. But how cool is that? Right now, I feel like I'm in a league with her. We're both working actors. And I was like... (laughs) That's cool, but it really reminded me of one of those moments. Like, this is New York. Like, it's New York. Yeah, you see people. We're all riding that subway. We're yep. all delayed on the one train. Yeah, <laughs> we all are waiting in line at Starbucks. Like, New York yep. is a humbling place, man. It is. It is. No, no place like it. Yeah, no, but but you're both right about how it really is. Uh, you know, all kinds of people, all walks of life, and a great source of uh, artistic inspiration in that sense. As well as in a lot of ways, yeah, it, it kind of equalizes everybody, at least in the moments you're all in public together. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you mentioned about uh, injuring your back or your, your tailbone My tailbone, or whatever. yeah. But that's a good segue to something. How do you guys, if at all, deal with uh, health insurance? Do you guys have health insurance or what do you do if I you have, need to go to the I doctor? I have a basic... Um, Basic, you know, essentially kind of in case of emergencies. Um, I think it does technically cover uh, basic checkups and whatnot, but being that I'm so close to my hometown, I've actually never switched over my doctor and dentist and all that because it's easy enough for me to get upstate. Mm -hmm. But being that I live here and work here, it's my health insurance is for here in New York City and doesn't cover my regular checkups with my doctor upstate. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a little wonky Did in that sense. Did you get that but through the New York State Exchange, that plan? 
the city plan? Um, I don't think so. I'm with um, Empire Blue Quad. Blue Cross Blue Shield, okay, such like time yeah. but um, but it's yeah, it's great, and it covers you know just kind of the basics of right. you know if you need it in case of emergencies and whatnot, and even like going to like you know taking yourself to the walk-in type thing or exactly. something. Cover cover some basics like that. So yeah. How about you, Julie? I actually have Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield, nice. the, the managed care <laughs> Medicaid. Um, yeah, yeah, the marketplace insurance has been great, and there's that catch like. I know last year, because I had two decent contracts, I might like just be on the cusp of not qualifying. I'm trying not to think about that. It's <laughs> ironic how that works. But, um, you know, I have been lucky to just make that. And that's been hugely helpful. And insurance was a terrifying thing for me. I recently was turned 26. Um, my father is an insurance attorney and my mom is a nurse. Um, so I've always known everything about healthcare and had the best coverage. Like through my dad's job, we had the best coverage. Like... I remember legitimately trying to get a fake ID to stay 25 oh forever. <laughs> like, I was very concerned about it. I did not want to be 20. I remember that being the birthday where I had the quarter-life crisis, yep. and I think it was the health insurance that scared me the most. But, um, you know, it's – I have found the insurance to be pretty good. Like, I I have the irony. Like, my family is from Boston. It's close right. enough that I can – while I was still 25, I easily went home a couple times a year right. to get my appointments in. But now it's not covered because it's the state insurance. And right. – um, when I worked upstate this past summer, it blew my mind. I was like, I am six hours away, but I can still get a lot of coverage up here. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I found it to work for the most part. I yeah. am a queen of freak injuries, so there was my tailbone. Um, the fall before, and these always happen when I'm in the city for a month at a time. I know because I'm, like, all <laughs> excited to teach and dance, and then I can't. The fall before, I dropped a water bottle on my foot and got a bone bruise. Oof. That was okay, but it was a pain in the neck. Um, this past fall... In one of my sublets, and this happened to be one of the cleanest sublets I'd lived in. These roommates had a great cleaning system. Stepped on a teeny piece of glass. It felt like a splinter. I had to get surgery to remove it. Gracious. So I'm really, really good at freak accidents. Like, I have a talent for someone who's done ballet their whole life and teaches yoga. It's, like, remarkable how good I am at freak accidents. <laughs> but that to say, I've been lucky with my health insurance. Like, the insurance completely covered my foot surgery, and I had a specialist from the Harkness Center for Dance Injuries do my surgery. Um yeah, I got that was one of those moments I was very happy to be in New York where we have the best of the best everywhere. Yep. But yeah, my insurance has covered walk ins. The only thing it doesn't cover is certain specialists. Um, I have a lovely ENT. I was on a children's gig where the, my housing had a bad mold infestation, and luckily oh, no. that was right the end of being 25, thank God, because I got to go to the CNT four or five times for, you know, a $25 copay. I went to see him once since then. Um, he should have charged me a thousand dollars to scope me, but he luckily only charged me the $300 fee. 300 was still a lot of money, but you know, I was like, I'm glad I can only go once. Cause if something bad happens, I can't go to you six times right yep. now. <laughs> but so that is good to hear. And this has come up before. And so for people listening, if you're thinking of moving to New York or whatever, the good news is the New York State health insurance marketplace really does have a lot of good options. It does. Yeah, it does. Even if you're just a freelancer and you're paying for it yourself, it's it's quite reasonable and quite good coverage, as they said. And I can tell you, not to take it for granted, because just up just across the border in Connecticut, for me, uh, it's not nearly as good. Not nearly as good options. I mean, and. And, and just the options if you are a freelancer or whatever. So it's uh, 
Fortunately for, for New York, uh, you know, it's because so many actors and, and other people are here, it is good at least that, uh, that New York State does have good health insurance offerings, even for, uh, for freelancers and so forth. So that is great. Yeah. 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 And I think that's relatable because New York is an economy where we thrive off the working class exactly. and business yeah. owners, you know, yeah. so... They do understand that. And I had a, one of my first nanny jobs in the city. The mother was also a designer. She had a regular job while I was there. And I um, can't speak accurately, but I know she has started her business now and is making her stuff and works pretty solely freelance. But I love the family and for a lot of reasons. And she really understood what I was doing because she's been going through the same thing. And the sad part was she didn't need a regular babysitter for a while. But <laughs> And I loved her daughter. But... It was interesting to see, like, oh yeah, you kind of have the same the same life in what she was trying to do. Yeah, and then seeing like, because there got a point where she had trouble, you know, having a regular home because freelancers weren't kind when she was transitioning into her business. So I was like, oh yeah, it's it's all the same. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Definitely. So all right, um, as we start to wrap up. So, um, when is As You Like It going up? That is, I'm going to look at the calendar. I'm so terrible with dates. I have to look at the calendar for every day. It's ridiculous. But luckily, everything is on my iPhone. It's April 25th through the 28th. All right, excellent. And, I knew uh, it was the last weekend. I couldn't remember the exact dates. So what's the name of the theater company again? The Rogue Players. Rogue Players, excellent. Yep. I will look forward to that. And, uh... Uh, Julie, anything else specifically coming up for you? We already, you know, we already posted, of course, your YouTube channel and all that Thank fun you. stuff, which I was watching a little bit of. It was very good. Thank you. Um, yeah. Actually, the first thing that comes to mind, because I'm in a sketch about the New York subway, um, <laughs> I am in a sketch show next week at the Magnet Theater. Um, we They have a reoccurring sketch show, Ringers. It's great because students who've completed a certain amount of levels can submit either their works or submit to be actors. Um, maybe I'll have the courage to submit my writing sometime soon. But um, we, yeah, it's 9 o'clock April 1st, um, 9 p.m. So if you can do a 9 o'clock show on a Monday night, it'll be worth it, um, at the Magnet Theater. And I'm excited for it because I'm in a couple original sketches, and it's I've gotten to collaborate with other Magnet folks um, who are also actors, who are also writers and directors. So I think that should be a really good show. We have some good sketches. And... I I won't spoil it, but there's a really funny one about the subway. So <laughs> commiserate together. Beautiful. Yes. Well, we will post uh, links for both of those things uh, on the episode notes. And uh, unless there's anything else you guys want to want to mention, I think uh, I think we're okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can't can't think of anything else. At least not anything that we could fit into. <laughs> Well, again, if you haven't already, you can listen to both of these uh, guests' previous episodes and all their other links and uh, social media and everything is there. And uh, again, as always, if you want to reach me about the podcast for any reason, you can email Craft Business Life Podcast. That's all one word, Craft Business Life Podcast at gmail.com. And look forward to more uh, of these group episodes as well as a lot more individual episodes. Many more are scheduled very soon, uh, including some uh, exciting guests that are a little different from the usual 
type of guest, which will be great as well. So I look forward to that. And uh, until next time, thank you, ladies, very much. Thank you. Thank you. All right.